Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing areas. Uh, that's a great option if you do have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And then a big shout out to our online campus as well. Thanks for joining us through that venue. Uh, go ahead and put your favorite emoji in the chat to let us know that you're joining us this morning. And uh, before we jump into the talk today, I know that uh, summer is uh, flying by. And uh, we're looking forward to, uh, you know, we don't want to discount summer, but we always take the summer and kind of strategize about the upcoming school year. And uh, just based on where we were before kind of summer went into full effect, uh, we are planning on adding a third service uh, coming in the fall. And so just want to make you aware of that. We're going to have uh, service times at 8, 9.30, and 11 as soon as we get past Labor Day. And we're sort of anticipating that and building towards that. And probably the areas where we need uh, the most help with people jumping in and getting involved is in kids and students. And so if you uh, would be interested in saying, man, I would love to help out come fall. It doesn't mean you're signing up for the summer, but uh, come fall, when you guys go to three services, uh, we're going to be advertising and sending out mailers and inviting friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members. And so when that happens, uh, we're going to see a lot of new faces walking through these doors and we just want to be ready for them. And so if you would uh, be interested in saying, you know what, during one of those services twice a month, I could help out with kids or I could help out with students throughout the school year. Uh, Would you just write that on your connection card? Uh, Just write kids or students, and that'll let us know that we can get in touch with you and start working towards the fall uh, so that we can get that in place. The other thing I want to say is this. Um, So many people are watching online, and as we've kind of... uh, gotten to know more and more people that are watching from other parts of the country, uh, we, ha- we want to do something that allows you to not just watch by yourself. Because the whole point of being a part of the, the body of Christ, of being a part of a church family, is that you do it with other people. And what happens is, over the last couple of years, with everything that's gone on with uh, you know, the, the season we've been in over the last two years, and, uh, and then technology, uh, we have a lot of people who kind of uh, sit and watch and what we want to help you do is, if you're going to be watching from afar, we want you to do it with some other people. And so we're, we're designing something called a watch party to help you watch it with other people. So if you're online and you primarily watch online, don't watch online by yourself. And so we're going to drop a link in the chat here to give you uh, some uh, information about what it would look like to host a watch party so that when you are watching and engaging with us as a church family, you actually do it with some other people in community. And we want to help provide all the resources to help you pull that off. So that link is dropping in our chat and our Facebook, uh, wherever you happen to be watching from. And I'd encourage you to check that, uh, click that link and uh, give us some information. We'd love to help you put some resources in your hands so that you can um, check out one of these watch parties. Cool. All right. We've been in this series this summer called Voices. And uh, man, it's been fun to hear from some different people. We had uh, Jenny Becker a few weeks ago. Uh, We had the last two weeks, two of the most high energy people I've ever met in my life, uh, Dave Nelson. And for those of you that don't know Dave, he was uh, my youth pastor when I was a kid. And Dave is so high energy. Dave makes coffee nervous. Okay. That's how, that's how like ramped up he is. And then last week, Jeff Zog, uh, who uh, started Fathers for the Fatherless, and he spoke on Father's Day. So if you missed any of those, you can check those out online. Today, we're continuing this summer series, and I want to kick it off with a little quiz. This is kind of a who's who of famous names and famous people. Feel free to play along in your mind, or if you're so inclined, just shout out the answers. Uh, If you're watching from home, shout at the top of your lungs, because you can. And you won't bother anybody. So uh, here's this first group of names. It's so famous, we don't call them by the birth name. See if you can guess who this is. The first one is Lou Alcindor. Anybody know? That's right. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
It didn't, you didn't, maybe you didn't know, like he changed his name. Uh, here's another one. Check this out. Cassius Clay is Muhammad Ali. How about this? Robert Ritchie. Anybody know? Kid Rock. <laughs> you had no idea his name was Robert, did you? You're like, man, that dude, okay. How about this? Calvin Brodus Jr., otherwise known as Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Calvin Brodus Jr. is Snoop Dogg. How about this one? Uh, Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. Lady Gaga. Some of you got a huge Lady Gaga fan. All right, that's awesome. And then uh, Belcalis Almanzar. Anybody? This is Cardi B. Did you know that was her name? I didn't know that. That's crazy, right? And then the next level of fame is people who just go by one, they just go by one name. That's people like, uh, you got people like Rihanna. Uh, you got people like Tiger. Oprah. How about this? LeBron. Everybody knows, right? There's only one LeBron. How about Drake? Just single names. And then there are people who are so famous that they, they just go by the title. So how about this? The Rock. Dwayne Johnson, right? Everybody knows that's The Rock. How about uh, The Duke? Got some old school here. Anybody know The Duke? John Wayne, baby. That's right. He's The Duke. How about The Boss? <laughs> Springsteen. Absolutely. I didn't hear the other one. Uh, how about this? The Fridge. Anybody know The Fridge? William Perry. Refrigerator. And then how about this one? The King. No, you guys, it's Jesus. Come on. Come on. Now, <laughs> most of those names are a pretty big deal in our culture, right? They've had an impact on our culture in one way or another. But let's just be honest, like a hundred years from now, will we remember all these names or will their impact be as significant? Like, like when our lives are done and a hundred years from now or 200 years from now, will we still be talking about Calvin Brodus Jr.? Like, it's just amazing because after we're gone, we pretty much lose our impact and our influence a hundred years from now or 200 years from now. And that's what's so intriguing about Jesus. When he died, his followers weren't thinking about starting some type of revolution. They weren't thinking we're going to be a part of a movement that's going to last for a couple thousand years. Jesus left behind a, a small band of heartbroken people who thought that when Jesus died, the movement they were a part of died with him. Nobody was planning anything after Jesus was put to death. And, and even though he spoke boldly and he spoke with authority about a kingdom and how it would operate when he died, most of his followers just assumed that that movement died with him. They actually went into hiding. They were afraid of being associated with Jesus. And as far as everyone was concerned, his influence was dead. And when you think about that, uh, when Alexander the Great died, everybody thought, well, he'd be remembered. And when uh, Caesar Augustus died when Napoleon died, or Socrates, or Muhammad. And their reputations were immense. Everybody thought, well, they're definitely going to be remembered. When Elvis died, allegedly, uh, then his fame was at an all-time high. People were like, oh, this guy's going to be remembered. But when Jesus died, that was not the case. It just wasn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus never traveled more than 75 miles from his own hometown. Uh, the, the life and teachings and the person of Jesus have impacted more than any other individual. They've impacted culture. They've impacted the way we see the world. They've impacted, uh, they've impacted the way we view the justice system. They've impacted economics. I mean, the reason I'm so fascinated is that there isn't anything that Jesus did to secure his place in history. 
When you think of great men securing their immortality, great uh, men and women in history securing their immortality, you think of people who build monuments to themselves or who have had amazing structures named after them. And Jesus never had any power, never had any position to speak of, never had any influence to name anything after himself. And yet, following his death, uh, all around the world, people have identified with him for a couple of thousand years. It's pretty amazing. Jesus never sought a place of prominence, and yet the world has given it to him. Powerful regimes have tried to establish their importance in whatever way they could. And one of the ways that they would do that is uh, by establishing dates. And so um, they would date the calendar around the existence and around the reigns of certain rulers. In fact, uh, Luke even records this for us when he's writing his historical document and this um, sort of chronological uh, detail of the life and teachings of Jesus. And he says this, it was not, uh, it, it was now, he says, the 15th, uh, sorry, now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And so the point of this is, hey, we want to let you know what's going on, and you can, you can actually point to specific dates in history based on who was ruling and what reign they were in, and, and this is one of the ways that you rose to prominence. If, if you were named around a certain event, that means you were pretty famous. That means your name was pretty well known, and time was measured by important people and important events. So think about this. The idea that a Jewish carpenter born in the small town of Bethlehem, would somehow, he would be the one to separate B.C. and A.D. He would be the one that somehow separates our calendar. It's amazing. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea, and yet the only reason we've ever even heard of Pontius Pilate is because he's a footnote in the story of Jesus. And yet, today, every time we glance at a calendar, every time that you date a check, those of you who are under 30, you're like, what's a check? I don't know what that is. We are reminded that we are roughly, you know, 2,022 years removed from the time that Jesus walked on the earth. And if we could rewind time to that century in which Jesus lived, we would find the names of, you know, Caesar and Nero. Those are famous. They were at the height of success and fame and influence and power, achievements. And today, the only time that we use those names are for pizza parlors and casinos. It's amazing. But the name of Jesus lives on. And people associate names with individuals and character traits that we admire. A hundred years ago, Adolf was a pretty common German name. Today, no one names their kid Adolf. Today, nobody names their kid Attila, right, or Judas, because those names have things associated with them. But think about the associates of Jesus. These are names you hear all the time, even today. Matthew, James, John, Philip, David, Mark, Thomas, Peter, Paul, and Mary. You know, Abigail, Bethany, Beyonce. That one might have slipped in. <laughs> and the more you learn about Jesus, the more it becomes clear that Jesus is in a category all by himself. And for more than 2,000 years, people have been fascinated with Jesus. There's something about Jesus that draws people to him. And whenever lots of people are fascinated with someone, what starts to happen is that legends and myths and sort of, uh, you know, urban tales start to pop up about this person. Like you've probably heard this, I've heard this legend before that um, Walt Disney, his body is actually buried in a frozen cryogenic chamber somewhere beneath Disneyland. Maybe you've heard that myth. 
Maybe for this legend, I heard that uh, Mr. Rogers was actually a former Navy SEAL who killed like 150 people as a sniper. You're like, Mr. Rogers? Like, yeah, it's a perfect cover. But it's just a myth. And these things, when someone becomes famous, these sort of uh, myths and legends start to pop up about them. And in the first century, as Jesus started to gain a following, people started talking about who he was. And there were a lot of questions and sometimes confusion about who Jesus is. And so one day Jesus was on a walk with his disciples and he turns to them and he says, who do people say that I am? Now, I'm not secure enough in myself to ask that question to anybody. All right, I don't wanna hear the answer. Well, Jeremiah, no one's talking about you. You're not even part of the conversation, all right? So don't worry about it. But they answer Jesus. Some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're a holy man. Uh, Some people think you're a historical figure that's been reincarnated. And after sharing with Jesus the views people had of him, we read this in Matthew. Jesus then says this. He he turned and he asked, who do you say that I am? Okay, this is what everybody else is saying, but who do you say I am? And I will tell you, that is the single most important question that any of us can ask. The, the, The most important question we can ask and answer is, what do we think about Jesus? What do we think about Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? It's the most important question that we'll ever answer in our lives. Back in 2007, uh, there was a guy who, uh, in a subway system in Washington, D.C., he uh, walked into the subway system. He was just wearing jeans and a T-shirt and a hat. And he kind of pulled out a violin and he started to play. And he opened his violin for some tips. And he sat in the, viol- in the subway system and he just played violin. And he was a good violin player. And he played for about 45 minutes. And after about 45 minutes, he packed it up and he actually made $32 in 45 minutes playing violin and having people drop change or dollar bills into his violin case. And what nobody realized was that this guy was actually Josh Bell. And Josh Bell was a world-renowned violinist. In fact, just a couple of nights earlier, he had played at the Boston Symphony where tickets were several hundred dollars a piece and that the violin that he was playing was actually a Stradivarius worth over $3 million. And had people known this, they would have, you know, it would have changed everything. They would have stopped and they would have been like, oh my gosh, we're getting like a, a free concert in the subway. But nobody recognized him. Nobody even knew who he was. And so they just kind of heard a violinist. Maybe somebody dropped a dollar bill in his violin case and they moved on with their life. And this is actually a, an experiment, a social experiment done by the Washington Post to see Would people notice? Are people too busy to stop and appreciate? And then the story broke and they actually brought him back to that subway where he did a free concert and they announced it and of course the place was packed. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it can be very easy for us to do the same thing with Jesus. We we get used to it. We get used to hearing the story. It's been a part of our culture. It's been a part of our upbringing. We start to lose our fascination with Jesus for all that he is, all that he's done in our lives. And it's totally possible to become so preoccupied and so busy and so familiar that we become limited by our own stereotypes. We don't even recognize Jesus when we see him. And part of the problem is we don't really know what Jesus looks like. If you ask 10 people who Jesus is, you'll more than likely get 10 different answers. It's fascinating. Maybe someone will say teacher. Some would say uh, revolutionary. Some would say he's a good man. Some would say he's a historical figure. And I personally grew up in a great church. From a very young age, I was taught about Jesus. I feel very, very blessed to have grown up in the church that I did. But here's the deal. Not every church is going to get everything perfectly right. And we certainly don't. And so the message I was taught that was 
Because Jesus died for me, it was really important that I do something big for him. Because Jesus did something big for me, I got to do something big for him. I need to make my life count in a way that, you know, as big as possible. I need to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. And if I, if I loved God enough and if I did that long enough, I could be the next, you know, Peter or the next Paul or the next Moses. Now, I say all that to say this. That message that kind of got put in me, uh, over time, it can cause you to be a little bit jaded and cause you to go, okay, this is all about what I got to do for God. But here's what I want you to understand about Jesus. The good news of Jesus is not about what I can do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has already done for me. This is, what, this is what the word gospel means. It means good news. And good news is not, hey, I've got an assignment for you. Good news is, hey, I've done something for you. Good news is not about what I can do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus has already done for me. And I, I don't, I'm not mad about my upbringing or I don't blame anybody, but everything we read about Jesus in the manuscripts and makes up our scriptures are all about putting a spotlight on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's not about trying to do for Jesus. It's accepting what he has done for us. It's all about Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It's all through Jesus. Ultimately, it's all for Jesus. And there's nobody who comes close to Jesus. In fact, one of Jesus' closest followers and one of his best friends wrote a, a manuscript, and in it, he filled 21 chapters about Jesus. And at the end, this is what he says at the very end of this. He says, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world would not contain the books that would be written. Think about that. He says, Jesus did so much that if we wrote down everything he did, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books that would be written about him. Now, it would be easy to sort of dismiss that as just a massive exaggeration. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and we could easily make the argument that Jesus' influence is completely unmatched, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Jesus was born in a rural town called Bethlehem. He spent the first 30 years of his life working as a carpenter alongside his dad. He never married. He never had any children. Never held political office. Uh, he never ran a large company. He never made a lot of money. He never wrote any books. And yet, he's the most significant and influential person in the history of the world, and that is not an exaggeration. Our biggest holidays, Christmas and Easter, are all about Jesus. More songs have been written about Jesus, sung to Jesus, more paintings painted of him, and more books written about him than anyone else who has lived in the history of the world, and it's not even close. And if you ask people who Jesus is, there is no shortage of answers because our understanding of Jesus has been shaped by all sorts of influences. A few weeks ago, there was a story in Paris. A man wearing a wig, sitting in a wheelchair, went to, to see the Mona Lisa on display in a museum in Paris. He was dressed as an old lady in a wheelchair, and he was wearing a wig, and underneath his dress that he was wearing, he had a cake. And when he got close to the Mona Lisa, he pulled out the cake, and he threw it at the Mona Lisa, and ran up and started smearing the cake into the Mona Lisa. Check this out. This is an actual picture of the Mona Lisa, that the cake smeared on it, and this is the guy being escorted out as he screamed, save the planet. I have no idea what the Mona Lisa and cake has to do with saving the planet, but there you go. That was his protest. And it's kind of fascinating because uh, the, the image of Mona Lisa is getting smeared, and he threw it up there. And over the last 2,000 years, there have been a lot of people who have done the same thing with Jesus. They've thrown their assumptions onto the image of Jesus. 
Uh, They've sort of thrown their teachings onto the image of Jesus, their personal hurts and experiences onto the image of Jesus. And what we want to do is remove, hopefully, some of the things that have been smeared onto the image of Jesus. Give us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And one of the best ways is to look at what Jesus said about himself. What did Jesus actually claim about himself? Jesus made all sorts of claims about himself. In fact, again, the disciple John records in his manuscript some of these claims. There's a whole mess of them. I want to read some of them to you. Jesus actually said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's one of the things Jesus claimed about himself. Here's another one. He said this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus said that about himself. Here's another one. He said this, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Here's another one. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. It's an incredible claim. Here's another one. He said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Another claim. He said this. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. These are all claims that Jesus made about himself. And over and over and over, Jesus would say, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. People think I'm a historical figure from the Old Testament or an old prophet, or they think I'm Moses or Elijah, sort of come back to life. They think I'm a good teacher, but I want to tell you exactly who I am. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You can come and you can, you can experience relationship with God through me. And he would say, this is who I am. And it would be easy to dismiss his claims. And it would be easy to assume that he just needed a psychological evaluation. And yet, the magnitude of his impact on the world makes his claims worth considering. And so today, in just the few minutes that we have together, I want to explore one of the things that Jesus said about himself. These are one of the claims that Jesus makes because it helps us understand who Jesus is. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking, and here's what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In our scriptures, sheep are talked about more than any other animal. Cattle are brought up 131 times. Uh, Dogs, 41 times. Eagles, 26 times. Do you know how often the Bible talks about cats? Zero. (laughs) Cats are not in the scriptures. You can try and look and you won't find it because cats were a mistake that God regrets. just good Bible teaching right here. I'm sorry. (laughs) But sheep and shepherds are referenced about 500 times in the scriptures, and it's because they reveal something about the human condition. And here it is. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd, don't they? Sheep just absolutely need guidance. They need a shepherd. There are other kinds of animals that run wild, wild dogs, wild horses, wild boars, right? But there is no such thing as a wild sheep. You won't find it. Sheep need guidance. If a truck spilled over on the highway and lions and tigers, you know, and and cougars were running everywhere, people would go into lockdown, right? They'd lock themselves in their cars. They, They would try to figure out a way out of there. If sheep were running all over the street, it would turn into a petting zoo. Nobody's afraid of sheep. You've never seen a wild sheep. They aren't threatening at all. They make bad decisions just like we do. 
That's why uh, early uh, the Jewish prophet Isaiah actually wrote this, comparing people to sheep. He says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. This is how sheep operate. Sheep don't know what they're doing. They need guidance. They need a shepherd. A few years ago in a uh, village in eastern Turkey, there was a flock of sheep whose shepherd wasn't with them for some reason, and uh, the lead sheep went off of a cliff, plunged to his death. Guess what the rest of the sheep did? They followed. 1,500 sheep went over the edge of the cliff. And shockingly, only 450 of them died because as the sheep bodies started to pile up, it was like jumping into a pillow, and the other sheep just bounced off and survived. And it's amazing, isn't it? You would think the one of the sheep at some point, right, like maybe, I don't know, 400, 800, would have been like, you know what? Phil and Connie never came back. I haven't seen Jeremy in a while. I don't know that I really want to go over that edge. Sheep keep jumping. None of them are coming back. But no, everybody's like, oh, let's go. And they just keep going over the edge mindlessly. None of them stop to reflect. And that's, that's not how sheep think. Sheep just follow. They need guidance. They don't process information. And the truth is, the reality is, we tend to operate that way as human beings when we're overstressed, when we're hurried, when we're exhausted, when we are mentally run down. We can live mindlessly. We can live without thinking. We can allow the current of culture to just sweep us along. We can live like everyone else wants us to live or doing whatever we feel like doing in the moment. We let our emotions guide us. And Jesus understands this about us. In fact, he doesn't chastise us. He doesn't scold us or rebuke us for this. That's why uh, when Matthew is recording Jesus and what he says, he, he actually writes this about Jesus. He says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus understands this about us. Everybody needs a shepherd. And our shepherd is whoever or whatever we're counting on to take care of us, to watch out for us, to guide us, to give us our identity. And it can be a career. It can be the economy. It can be uh, a political party or leaning. It can be a, a politician. It can be our definition of success. It can be achievement or intelligence. It can be a relationship. It's important to choose our shepherd carefully. Because in this life, we will inevitably walk through seasons that can only be referred to as the valley of the shadow of death, dark seasons. And in those seasons, our job, our relationships, our accomplishments, our political party, our intelligence is not going to lead us where we need to go. The good news for all of us is that Jesus offers himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I will lay down my life. The shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now, this doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to us if we follow Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, whatever happens to us, we don't have to face it alone because Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus will guide us. Jesus will be with us. He provides for us, cares for us, guides us. He's with us in the midst of the good and the bad. Then Jesus explains exactly what he means by good shepherd. He says this, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Think about that. If I'm working at Quick Trip 
When somebody walks in with a gun and says, okay, I want cigarettes and lotto tickets and alcohol. I'm going to respond by saying, dude, no need for the gun. Okay. Put that down and I'll pack that stuff up for you. In fact, I'll put it in a bag. I'll carry it out to your trunk. I'll put it in there. What else you want? Uh, Hey, here's the cash register. We keep the big bills under the drawer. Here, here you go. Uh, I'm not trying to give my life for quick trip. All right. I'm not making a final courageous stand for quick trip. Why? Because it's a job. It's not a passion. But Jesus, he says this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I love this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not a hired hand. I'm, I'm not just an employee. I'm not doing this because I need a paycheck. You don't have to worry about me bailing on you when times get tough. Now, here's why this matters so much. We follow the voice of Jesus because of trust, not because of fear. This is so important for us when it comes to understanding the good news of Jesus, that it's not about me trying to do for him. It's about what he's done for me. This is an important distinction because the goal of following Jesus is not this. Well, I better become a good person and I better follow the rules and I I better do these things so that God isn't angry with me. You know what that's called? That's called religion. And Jesus did not come to just establish a new religion. He came to shut down religion. Instead, the motivation to follow Jesus is because he truly is the good shepherd. He actually wants what is best for us, the sheep. So we have to learn to trust his voice above all of the other voices that are competing for our attention and our affection. Because Jesus actually gives us his motivation. He he talks about the fact that the thief is going to come. In fact, here's what he says. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, the sheep, a rich and satisfying life. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to sacrifice my life for the sheep. I want the sheep to have a rich and satisfying life. That's the reason I've come. That's why you can trust me. You see, our motivation to listen to the voice of the good shepherd is because he is for us and not against us. He wants good for us. He sacrificed his life for us. So why would we listen to any of the other voices that are competing for our attention or our affection? What have those other voices ever sacrificed for you? In your finances, what would it look like to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd? In your marriage relationship, what would it look like to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd? Not because, hey, if you don't, God's going to be angry with you, but because the Good Shepherd wants you to live a rich and satisfying life. The Good Shepherd wants you to have a rich and satisfying marriage. What would it look like in your parenting to go, okay, I, I just, I want to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. What, God, guide me. God, help me. How would that change your parenting? How would it change the way you do business? How would, how would it change the way you handle your friendships? What if in every arena of life you decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, try to discern the voice of the good shepherd. God, lead me, guide me, help me. I want to follow your voice. Not because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't, but because you actually trust that he wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. See, throughout your life, it's possible that people have taken some Bible verses out of context and thrown them at the image of Jesus and smeared it all around like cake on the Mona Lisa. And maybe you've had that in your mind. 
Maybe they've taken guilt and shame and expectations and they've thrown them at the image of Jesus in your mind and smeared it all around. They've taken their own self-righteousness and thrown it at the image of Jesus. And someone convinced you that you better obey Jesus because if you don't, God's going to be mad at you and God's going to get you. Jesus is a good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. It's something that he's already done for you because he is for you. And personally, the only thing I've ever found that keeps me from being selfish and that keeps me from taking advantage of the grace of God isn't fear. It's grace. It's a growing understanding of the depth of love and grace of the good shepherd. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep, you and me. And in his grace, he invites you and he invites me to trust him and to follow him. And so if you've never said yes to that invitation, you need to know that invitation is for you. If you're watching online, that invitation is for you. You've been invited to simply say yes to the good shepherd. And his only motivation is that he is for you and he lays down his life for you. And then he says, hey, follow me, follow my voice. Follow my instructions. Follow my way of living life. Uh, like, like when it comes to every arena of your life, before you jump in, before you allow your emotions to take you off the edge of a cliff, before you just follow culture off the edge of a cliff, before you just jump in because, man, it just feels right in the moment, listen to the voice of the good shepherd. What would Jesus say? What would the good shepherd have you do? And then follow that. Why? Because I'm afraid if I don't, God's going to be mad. No, because I'm for you. I, I, I want you to live a rich and satisfying life. And if you have said yes to Jesus and you're doing your best to follow him, but maybe somewhere along the way, you're worried that you haven't done enough for Jesus. Somehow you behaved your way out of relationship with God or you haven't done enough for God. The good news of Jesus is not about what you can do for him. It is about what he has already done for you. See, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that motivates us, not his heavy handedness. Simply rest in the reality of what God has done for you and allow that to begin to transform your life as you follow him each and every day. And so today, my goal is to simply clear some of the clutter that maybe some of us have gotten, clear some of the smeared cake on the image of Jesus that some of us have gotten over the years. And instead, to free us to say, you know what? I just want to listen for the voice of the good shepherd. And that can come through a variety of ways. Sometimes that comes through friends who speak wisdom into your life. Sometimes it comes through uh, messages like this, where it starts to bring clarity to an issue. It comes when you're in a small group with people and you ask some questions. It comes through reading or listening or just doing your best to discern, okay, I, I genuinely believe this is what God wants me to do, not what culture says, not what, it, not what uh, my emotions are telling me in the moment. And when you get to that point, ultimately you say, God, I'm going to follow the voice of the good shepherd because you're for me and I trust you. So if you're watching today, if you're here this morning, you've never said yes to the invitation to follow Jesus. You've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family. Here's what you need to know. All of us were created by God to live in loving community with God and one another. And yet, every one of us, it started with the first human beings to every one of us today at some point said, God, thanks but no thanks, I got this. And it led to brokenness between us and God and us and one another. And throughout human history, we've been trying to figure out how to solve that and how to fix that. And that's why at the right time in human history, God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus didn't come to establish new rules and a new religion. He came to shut all that down and say, no, the way back to God is through me. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. You come through me. And you can actually experience loving community with your heavenly father and with one another. And it comes when you listen to my voice, when you follow my way of living life. 
And to give us the ultimate example of his love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And here's what that means. Death is not the end. There is more to this life than this life, and you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. If you've never said yes to that and you want to say yes, just agree in your heart with this prayer as we close this morning. God, please forgive my sins. And forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, and I thank you that you've never walked away from me. You continue to pursue me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me, moving forward from this point on, to listen to your voice, to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, to do my best to live life your way, not because I'm afraid, but because I trust that your way of living is the best. And God, I pray for every one of us who are followers of Jesus. May we not carry a burden of guilt or expectations, but may your kindness motivate us. May we be motivated by the grace of Jesus. When we recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd and how much you're for us, let that simply spur us on to love well the people that you've put in our lives. God, we love you. We commit our week to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.